Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with our Wednesday evening Bible studies here in this podcast. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Okay, um, where we're at on your Satanology is Satan, uh, Satan's work in relationship to God. I think we covered that last week about opposition to the person of God and his righteousness. And we talked about the foreign righteousness that he introduces. Okay, so point number two then in your outline or in the outline um, is opposition to God's program by means of instituting his own counterfeit program. So what you will realize once you're dealing with Satanology or demonology is they're not very creative. So what you typically see from Satan or demons is a copycat approach to offset God's program. And so everything is a counterfeit. It, It pretends to be the real thing, but it's not. And as you can see, all the bullet points there, there are tons of counterfeits. Counterfeit religion, we'll talk a little bit about that. Counterfeit messiahs, counterfeit followers, counterfeit theology, counterfeit miracles. We're going to go each one uh, step by step. But the whole idea, if you can step back and understand how Satan plays his game, it is a copycat counterfeit program on everything, on everything. He'll counterfeit love. Okay, And so the world's definition of love is highly different than agape, but people in this world will use love, the term love, and pour their own meanings into it. And their love is very emotional. In agape love, there's no emotions, actually. It's it's a decision of the will um, to make a promise and keep it, and to do something that someone doesn't deserve. So agape is a whole different ballgame. So there's a counterfeit love, and that's what's happening now. So you've probably seen the signs, love is love, right? That's what the world, they put on their bumper stickers now, especially the LGBT community. Um, love is not just love. God is love. And God gets to define what love is. I remember a Jehovah Witness uh, getting mad, came to our services one time. I don't know why a Jehovah Witness would even come to Rock Harbor. I don't get that. Who in the world, you know? And so I, I, I made a statement. I, I, somehow I was in 1 Corinthians 13, and I made the statement that if you look at here, um, this, you know, the love statement that people use at their weddings and stuff, um, actually what's Paul doing is he's actually defining what love is. Love is patient, love is kind, all these uh, things. So what it, when he defines it, what Paul is really saying is love has boundaries. Love is defined by this, not that. And... Um, and that's what you see with this whole love is love movement. Um, and basically, you see this in theology as well today in churches. The preachers will preach, well, we just got to love. And, and it's like, wait a second, what do you mean by that? If you're using agape, I get that. But the problem is pastors and churches hermeneutic, their way of interpreting the Bible is with a worldly love. Their hermeneutic is love. It's not historical context. It's not, um, you know, the language. It's not uh, the Jewish background, anything like that. They ignore that, and they, they, they interpret everything by love. 
And again, it's a worldly love. And so unfortunately, that's all that's preached in the churches now is love, 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 and there's never any truth. Love is undergirded by truth. In order to love properly, you have to know the truth. I'll give you an example. A lot of people say they love their kids, and I truly believe they're sincere about that. They do love their kids, but they don't love them in a biblical way. Their methodologies of how they let that love show is dysfunctional many times because they don't understand that that having mere affection uh, is not enough, that love will actually sacrifice for the person. Love will um, make sure that the, the child grows up in a healthy environment is getting proper nutrition or whatever, you know, and and the parents are not doing things that would destroy the family unit, right? So that's missing in American families. They say they love their kids, but in their personal lives, they don't do anything that would help the kids out. They create a dysfunctional home environment because either they can't get their act together or their marriage can't get themselves together or they're just simply dysfunctional. And so in order to love someone else properly, you have to make sacrifices for that person. You have to defer to that person. It's not about you anymore. And and so even how the methodology of people's love, that's where they fail at. And, and, And so we understand the sentiment, but it's not enough. To love properly, how does God demonstrate his own love towards us? What does he say? God says he loves us, but then he demonstrates it. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, so now God demonstrates that love. He just doesn't say, I just love you. He demonstrates, how do we love? I, I let my, my son be sacrificed for you who doesn't deserve that. That's the example of love and how God shows it and demonstrates it out. That's what it looks like. So um, to love properly means you have to sacrifice something. Sacrifice basically your own self. And that's what a lot of parents won't do. That's why we're having so many uh, troubles with Gen Z and the millennials, because those parents who raised them were not about sacrificing for for the kids. They were about what can I get out of this? What, how can I live large? How can I, uh, you know, I don't know, fulfill my dreams or whatever? And the kids were basically tagalongs. And if they were very affluent, then they just bought the kids off. They, they, they showed love by buying things for the kids or giving the kids experiences. But really, they weren't giving themselves. They were just giving their kids money. And so that's why we called the, the wounded narcissist is that the parents, you know, hey, I gave everything I could to them. Yeah, but you gave them money, but you didn't give yourself. That's what the kids wanted. And that's why we're having all the dysfunction, because of a counterfeit love. It's a counterfeit love. Let's talk about a few things. I was talking to Jan Markell this this afternoon. We did an interview. It's going to be in a couple weeks on her program. And we started off the program with this question, and maybe you can answer it. Why are so many people now in the media, on the world scene, 
saying this, we just need a man to rescue us. They're saying it. They're calling Zelensky, he's Superman. And they keep, you're hearing this now, this mantra, uh, we just need a man. Uh, one of the actors, oh, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson came out and says, we just need a guy who can be a leader and take charge of all of this. I mean, it's, it's, it's the sentiment. It, watch, you'll hear it. They're saying it. Okay. What is that? What is that? They want a man to solve the problem. They're not wanting a nation to solve a problem. They're not wanting the UN to solve the problem. They're not wanting, uh, you know, political parties to solve the problem. They're saying we want a man to solve our problems. Right? And yet, he makes that statement. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that's a little crazy. Because he, I, I guess, like Macron or Zelensky, um, they, they are very Antichrist-esque. Obama was Antichrist-esque because he got, came out of nowhere, right? So that's the mistake people see. They see hints of the Antichrist, but it's not the Antichrist. But what I think what God does is he says, you see that guy? He looks a lot like the guy coming. And um, some of the things, you know, like Zelensky, he's a globalist, okay? So the, the Antichrist is going to be a globalist. So it looks similar, right? But it's unfortunate that they do that. They want to pin the tail on the donkey. And it says in Scripture, you can't pin the tail on the donkey uh, until he who re that restrains is removed, is Holy Spirit through the church. Um, we can look at somebody and say, man, that's very satanic. That's very Antichrist-esque. That's about as far as you can go. But when these people start saying he's the Antichrist, the first thing I want to say is, well, according to Daniel chapter 11, he can't be. Jewish. He has to be Roman descent. Because even Daniel 9, Daniel 11, uh, point out the characteristics of the Antichrist. And what does it say where the Antichrist comes from? What kind of people? The people who destroyed the temple. Who are they? Romans, Europeans, whatever you want to call them. But it, Zelensky's Jewish. So Zelensky's out. He can't, uh, there's no such thing as a Jewish Antichrist. That just doesn't make sense, right? That's crazy. But see, that's the thing. They don't know their Bibles, and they don't know that he comes from the people who destroyed the temple. And so, um, and of course, people have put the thumb on the Macron. He's a weirdo. There's no doubt about it. He's, he's jacked up. Uh, he's weird, man. I can do it off the chart. And he's very Antichrist-esque. He's, he comes in saying he's the new Jupiter or whatever, you know, not the planet, but the God Jupiter. He's, he's just, he's prideful, boastful, that kind of thing. But you can't say that, you know, you could say he's very antichrist yes, but you can't say Macron's the antichrist. You can't say that because of, of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way, and then he will be revealed, right? Then. So that's their problem. So go ahead, Maria.
I'll repeat her. Yeah, so she was saying that it looks like they're uh, conditioning the people to eventually win the Antichrist in. And I would say, yes, the conditioning is happening. It's a, a psychops game. This is what's happening. This is why you start hearing the fervor of people saying, we need a man with a plan. We need a man to solve our problems. We have all this chaos. I'll show you some of this chaos that they're talking about in our uh, current events time. But the globalists and the people behind this have created crises all over the planet, right? Okay, so this is part of a counterfeit program, what we're studying. Satan's modus of operandi is, I will start a fire on your front door. Okay, I create a crisis, um, and then I'm going to leave it there. Then I'm going to come back with a fire extinguisher and say, I'm here to put out the fire. But when he puts out the fire, he gains more control. And in a lot of ways, what the globalists are doing, following Satan, obviously, are creating fires all over the planet, crises. Now, you know, we think it's, it's, it's the stupidity of Joe Biden, you know, with our economy. It's not. This is planned. They have to systematically destruct our economy, and they are doing, though. This is called a planned destruction. It is planned what they're doing to our economy, okay? It's not an accident. They could fix it overnight. It might take a while to recover, but they could just stop doing what you're doing. Be oil and, and gas independent. Make our own energy here. It would change everything if we just did that. Um, but we're not going to, and there's a reason why we're not going to. Because in six months to seven months, we're going to a digital currency. We're going off the dollar in six months or seven months. By, by Christmas, the latest, we're moving. Okay, and We've talked about that. But what is that counterfeit system? Even you think about that system, it's a counterfeit, like I talked to you last week, a counterfeit monetary system. A biblical monetary system means something totally different. You have store of value, it's rare, it's divisible, and you can trade it like gold or silver, right? That's a biblical value system. And now we're moving off to a counterfeit value system. Do you realize that when they go digital, they can restrict your buying and they can also give you bonuses if you march in order with what they want you to say and what you, they want you to do? They will do that. The currency, understand this, it's not blockchain like cryptocurrencies. This is not blockchain. It's traceable and it's programmable what they're doing. Yeah. Keith, go for it, man. So, Brandon, they're already doing social credits at our schools. So, my son came home with a pair of sandals. I was like, where'd those come from? <laughs> School logo. He goes, oh, I earned, I earned um, points for good behavior and helping out the teacher. Okay. They're already conditioning our youth yeah. Go to this system. Wow. So, so think about that. So, you know, that's something good that he's doing, but this going to transition to Thor's got to be pro LGBT to get ice cream on Friday or something. It's going to turn into that, right? Or, or, or Billy's got to be pro trans, uh, transgender or whatever 
uh, and then he can have recess or, or something. It's got, that's what it's going to turn into, a bargaining chip. But it is a counterfeit program. Okay, what, Okay. so t- tell me this. They're setting up a global government right now, right? But what is that counterfeiting? What is Satan copycatting with a global government? Bingo, he's copycatting the millennial kingdom that Jesus, the one God-man, will rule over. And you see the, the counterfeit that Satan is getting a global government to put his man, his one man, on top of that throne. And it's a complete counterfeit to when Messiah sits on the throne of David during the millennial reign. You see the counterfeit? It's a total copycat. Now, the problem with Satan is he's not omniscient. He's not all-powerful. And so what he has to do, he is using technology for controlling people. Whereas God doesn't have to control us. He's in control no matter what. Satan doesn't have that kind of control. He's not omnipotent. So his way to become omnipotent is global government, digital currency, no freedom. You're all slaves. Whereas God can control everything and allow human freedom. Isn't it? You see the counterfeit? He wants to be like God, but he doesn't possess the power to do it. How in the world could you have? Think about that. How powerful do you really have to be? You're so powerful that you can allow angels, demons, fallen angels, and humans freedom and still be in control. That's beyond. You can't even fathom that. That's that's the kind of power God has. Well, Satan, he's not even close to that kind of power. So now he's using a counterfeit worldly system in order to control human beings. And they will. They'll be successful at it for a time, but it'll end. It's a counterfeit. So let's go back to the original question. Why is everybody saying they want a man with a plan? Well, they are being conditioned for this. There's no doubt about that. But what's the counterfeit? Inside of all of hu- all humans, and this goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, there is a desire for humans for what? It's for God, and it's for God to rule and reign, and to have somebody that's like them, but with that kind of power. Hence, that's where Jesus comes in. He is God, but he is also man. And he's the God-man, which it, it, it goes down to our deepest need. We want a king who is God, but we also want God to be like one of us in that sense. And the, hence, the solution, obviously, is the God-man. 100% God, 100% man. That is actually our deepest longing as humans to finally have our king, right? Uh, because we want we want somebody that knows how we feel as human beings. Well, Jesus could know that because he's, he's 100% human. But at the same time, we want him to have the power of God. Well, there he is. He's God. So it's, a, it's the perfect combination. That is actually the longing of, of our true desire, okay? And to be in a kingdom controlled by him. So what happens with Satan when he gets that, that desire? What does he do to human beings? He perverts it. 
So when these people say they want a man with a plan, their, their deepest desire is really for Jesus to rule and reign. But because they're so perverted, because they have denied God, they're only left with the option of a human being that's God-like. And then when the Antichrist comes with powers and signs and wonders, it will satisfy their deep need for supernatural, but it's a counterfeit. There's no doubt Satan has power. There's no doubt Antichrist will have powers. No doubt false prophet will have power. But it's not God's power. It's supernatural. And apparently that satisfies a lot of people that this Antichrist has power, supernatural power. But it's perversion. It's a counterfeit to really what their deep down desire is. Now, here's the thing. Why would they choose the Antichrist when it's abundantly clear who Jesus is? In the tribulation, why would they do? Why would they say, "I'm going to take the mark of the beast," versus, "I'm going with Jesus"? Why do they choose that? Because the dividing line's at the midpoint, right? Why is that decision made? It is easier. How so? They can see him. There's no more faith required. Everybody's doing a herd mentality. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, on, you're on it. You're seeing the human condition. Right now. He's going to save us now. He's saving us now. We need our lives saved now. It's a very temporal idea, right? A temporal view of things. They're afraid of losing their life, and he's promising us he will, we will save our lives. We'll be able to keep our lives if we take his mark. And this, this Jesus, uh, we've never seen him, and he promises eternal life, and he doesn't promise that we'll stay alive. We could be dead. If we go against the Antichrist, we're going to be dead. So he doesn't even promise our physical lives. So you can see how temporal that decision would be made. I keep my life. He's given me what I want. And by the way, as long as I bow a knee to him, I get to act any way I want to act. Right? As long as I bow a knee to him, give his incense over or whatever, bow it, bow to his idol, I then get to live however sinful I want to live, really, right? Versus if you have to bow a knee to Jesus, what does he expect of your life? you got to have to change. So there's a demand once you come to the real Messiah, once you come to the God-man, there's a, a, a responsibility that says, okay, you got, you, you got saved, and all are welcome to be saved. I invite all. But once you're one of mine and you're my child, I now expect you to change. And so now all of a sudden you're responsible, and now all of a sudden he expects obedience out of you. Now, we are not perfect in our obedience. We fall. But you understand the, the Satan is going to give a counterfeit Messiah and say you can accept him and just live how you want to live. You see how that appeals to the sin nature? You can see why they would take his mark, even though... Angels will be flying saying, you will seal your doom by taking his mark. They don't care because they don't even believe that, right? Where are we at? I think that um, as far as Satan's concerned, that as long as you're not obedient to God, you're a-okay. For Satan? You're in the tribulation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That, that's the, the mantra is disobedience, right? Obedience to him, but, but, but disobedience. I got a hand back there somewhere. April's got a mic. Okay. So what we're looking at, the 
Generation Z or X, they're already conditioned to the point where they don't even believe Jesus now. Right. So when this comes into the scene, it's almost like what, what the devil's already trying to do. Mimic, do the same thing, do all these signs and wonders. Yes. And they're, they're just going to come out and say, we're going to look. This is Jesus. But yes. they, they don't know the truth. That's right. It's a counterfeit Jesus because Antichrist, anti means instead of that he replaces, he tries to replace Messiah. And he'll have similar things. Um, like we said, there, the, w- when this guy makes it on the scene, there's several things we already know that will be pushed about him. The first thing is that will be pushed about him is that hey, he had an unusual birth. Okay, that's the first message they're going to talk about the Antichrist about, is that he had an unusual birth. The, bigger, the, the second biggest thing they're going to push is he was resurrected, right? The third thing is he has signs and wonders. And they're going to say, look, he satisfies a lot of the requirements of the Bible for the Messiah. And he'll also satisfy many of the requirements for Islam. He will also satisfy many of the requirements for the new age Jesus. What I find interesting is when I study false religions, their Jesus is our Antichrist. And I don't care what false religion you look at, they all have a messianic figure. 12th Imam in Islam, right? The Maudi. Dude, that Maudi is the Antichrist. Amen. You look at other, other religions, uh, new age, they have a coming Jesus. And this Jesus, when you study him in New Age, it is the Antichrist. There's no doubt about it. And so um, it's a counterfeit, obviously. Okay, so what what then Satan does is he counterfeits the morality of God with what we call the opposite. It's called lawlessness. So the Antichrist is called the lawless one. Okay? What that means is that we will get into Daniel. When he changes times and seasons, he goes against the created order. He goes against the laws of God and the seasons of God and all everything that God has ordained, right? So he changes all that. So that's the idea of lawlessness. It's a reversal of what God says. That's part of the counterfeit program is to reverse everything. Up is down, right is wrong, black is white, white is black. And the whole thing is just completely reversed. And you can see it now with with what Richard is saying is that the people right now are being conditioned for this. Right now, people are accepting the opposite. I I was watching a documentary last night about Sodom and Gomorrah. And I hope on our Israel trip, I get to take you there because I want you to see the the little pellets all over the place um, in the areas where Sodom is and Gomorrah is of brimstone, really brimstone is sulfur. They have tested that sulfur in Israel. It's the highest sulfur content on the planet, but it's only in these five locations near the Dead Sea. It is the, the, the purity of the sulfur is between 90 and 100% pure. And someone sent some of that to me last week. Yeah, believe it or not. They heard online, and they sent me brimstone. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool, huh? So so I got this brimstone 
but I, I, I am afraid I was going to light it tonight for you um, so that you can see. The problem is the fumes it gives off is it'll choke you. It's toxic. The fumes would just knock you out. It's toxic. And so you got to burn that stuff outside, but it, it, it's, it, it turns, it, you light it on fire and it turns to a blue. If you put it on metal, that thing will melt all into the metal and destroy the metal. It's amazing. Never seen anything like it. Well, anyway, um, I was reminded, and, and you can see the archaeology there. It's the whole place is pelted with these stones of brimstone, which is sulfur. And they basically melted the whole area of Sodom, Gomorrah, and the other uh, cities. And uh, it turned everything into ash. And so these buildings of Sodom and Gomorrah were made out of limestone. And so when sulfur burns that limestone, I think it turns into um, calcium something. It's like ash. It turns like to a white ash. Burn the whole thing down. Anyway, my point is, I was watching this documentary, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, man. I mean, there's the evidence right there in front of everybody now. And um, here's brimstone in, even in my hand. And I'm thinking about this brimstone. What God did, now that we know about brimstone, if you like this, it, you'll suffocate from it. So as an act of mercy, this is interesting about Sodom and Gomorrah. When that brimstone came raining down, it would have killed them by breathing the fire of that, of that, that those fumes. It would have killed them instantaneously. And then their bodies would have been burned after they died. That's an act of mercy. That's actually an act of mercy that he, he, he allowed the fumes to suffocate them and kill them before being burned alive. And we've only found that out with the burning of the brimstone through archaeology. Isn't that amazing? But, okay, so why do I bring Sodom and Gomorrah up? Because when you study Sodom and Gomorrah, that's exactly what the world is doing on a global scale, okay? It's on a global scale now. When it goes global, uh, God, God's not going to put up with that too long. We're on limited time. Humanity's on limited time. And, and so, and what is Sodom and Gomorrah? What, 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 what was the nature of this? They were doing a lot of bad things. Understand that. And, and of course, Paul points this out in Romans 1. But here's the key issue. They had redefined the sexual expression. It was a counterfeit. And that's what these five cities were perpetrating is this counterfeit. And the societies had embraced it. We're even past that now. We're embracing your own gender, uh, not embracing your own gender. And you get to make that up. We're now past Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? Way past it. And we're now messing with kids, with hormone blockers and the whole thing, and that's getting worse and worse. So this counterfeit system that, that even Satan created in the five cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other neighboring cities, um, we're past that. We have the same counterfeit system, and we're worse. Um, so I'm well... Uh, I was looking at that brimstone, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. There is God's warning to this modern world. I will do to you what I did to Sodom and Gomorrah if you don't repent. And you think about, I was, I was listening, I was studying the story again. 
And the angels tell Lot, you got to get out of here, dude. It's time. Get your family. Let's go. His own son-in-laws didn't believe him. They thought he was joking. So the only people he was able to save out of that city was his wife and two girls, right? And do you, do you, do you realize that Lot wouldn't leave? If you read the story, he won't leave. He's, he's real reluctant. Do you know what happens? An angel has to grab his arm and take him out because he wouldn't leave. And then he messed around, went to the, instead of going to the high country where Abraham was to overlook this, he went to Zoar, which is on the very end of the Dead Sea. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? He told you to go on the hills. And he's just like a knucklehead going to Zoar and it's going to be destroyed. So think about Lot. An angel has to pull him. Let's go. Let's go. He won't leave. And then he goes to the wrong city. He finally gets out of there. Um, but, but what's the story about that? That once you start getting comfortable living in Sodom and Gomorrah, you have a hard time breaking away from it. In fact, you like it so much, you're hesitant to leave. His wife turned back because she wanted to go back, and she came, became a pillar of salt, right? And you look at the culture now. God's giving plenty of opportunities, and he will during the tribulation. But they like their sins so much, they won't go. They just won't leave. Even if you take them by the arm, they won't leave. Now, I'm not saying there's not going to be a lot of people saved in the tribulation. There is. There's a major uh, you know, revival that happens at the hands of the 144,000 Jewish males. But I, I'm looking at society, and I'm thinking, we're there. You try to tell these people, hey, man, you, there's a better life. There's an abundant life. And they are so entrenched in their sin, they don't want to leave it. It's very hard now to witness. Have you noticed that? Very hard. You, yeah, we get onesies and twosies and stuff like that. But for the most part, people are, are hesitant because they have bought into this counterfeit program. Now, think about this. Um, we talked about counterfeit religions. We've talked about counterfeit followers and, and the, the, the different soils. Um, but let's... Let's let's talk about counterfeit messiahs. Obviously, the Antichrist is the is the kingpin for you know the false messiahs. But here's what you have to understand about false messiahs: he says, many will come in my name. He warned that in the Olivet Discourse. Well, what is that? I mean, uh, what is this idea about many will come in my name? Well, there are people that claim to be Jesus. There's no doubt about that, and we call them lunatics right? When we see them, we put them away. And there's a lot of people like that. And a lot of times, if you're off a bubble and you go to Israel, you will actually get a Messiah complex. So if you have some problems mentally, don't go to Israel because I don't want to send you back home. Um, believe it or not, it's a phenomenon. It's called the Elijah complex or the Messiah complex. And people that are off a bubble, they go to Israel and they get all jacked up and they think they're Jesus or they think they're Elijah or Moses or something like that. It really happens. The Israelis say that they have to send people constantly out of the country because they get like that. Yeah, I, I, no joke, man. No joke. They go crazy over there, man. And they're constantly sending these, these tourists back home because they see that you have an Elijah complex and Messiah. They'll send you right on that next plane and get you out of there. So um, don't go if you're off a bubble, okay? Uh, I don't want that. Um, so... So we call these people lunatics, there's no doubt about it, but what? but let's talk about the Messiah complex in, in a little bit. 
This is where people get off, uh, off track, okay? So what they end up doing, especially in religious circles, they end up following a man instead of Jesus himself, okay? So whether that's a pastor, a Christian leader, or someone they know, whatever, they will make that person into a demi-messiah, if you want to call it that. And that's what the majority of the problem is, that people are more loyal to other leaders rather than Jesus. Now, you see this in denominations, okay? I see it in denominations. When I was Southern Baptist, and thank God I'm out of the Southern Baptist, you saw, I saw that. They were loyal to these, these elitist uh, academia types in the Southern Baptist Convention, and these, these guys were all messed up. And it's like, dude, you guys going to call them out? You going to say anything about what they're doing? Because they're all woke now, right? They're all jacked up. The Al Mollers of the world, the Danny Akins, and all these other people we've talked about, right? But what I started realizing is people were more loyal to those elites because they didn't want to, they didn't want the, the the elites to look down upon them as bad. And I want to say these elites are all jacked up theologically; they have no clue. And then you started finding out people are more loyal to a denomination like the Southern Baptist rather than seeing the Southern Baptist for what it is. It's going apostate. They couldn't see it, wouldn't see it, refused to see it. More loyal to a denomination, more loyal to a leader, more loyal to a pastor rather than the scriptures that come from the Messiah. That's a problem. That is a big problem. It's one of the biggest problems in Christianity. They worship men rather than the scriptures. They're more loyal to these other things than the Messiah. So these these counterfeit messiahs is a little bit more than what you think. It's not someone saying, I'm Jesus, I'm Jesus. It's someone who gets the person's loyalty over Jesus. Now, you can have a Messiah complex with your own parents. Seriously, man. I've seen people that refuse to be baptized because their parents came from a denomination that only sprinkled when they were children. And we would ask them, hey, man, you, you don't want to be baptized? No, I got to wait for my dad to die until I do that because he'll disown me. We were baptized as children and stuff. And, and they know theologically it's not valid, but then they wouldn't do it because their, their, their dad or whoever would disown them. You know, like, you're more loyal to your dad rather than Jesus. Here, and, and the thing is, baptism would be your first act of obedience, right? And you can't even do that. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem. And you'll see this, this, this loyalty that's not deserved. You don't owe anybody any loyalty other than Jesus. You don't owe me it. You don't owe any, you don't owe any Christian any of that loyalty except Jesus. That's it. And um, I started watching how, how leaders now are starting to apostate, uh, apostatize or getting off track and when I point these things out to people, they get really upset with me, especially the online uh, people that are protecting these guys. And I say, look, here's what he said right there. Why are you still mad? You know why they're still mad? Because they're more loyal to that guy than Jesus. Look, if I go crazy or a leader that you follow on a podcast goes crazy, 
first thing you do is drop them like a bad habit because they're not loyal to scriptures. But I'm watching Christendom be more loyal to these other things. And that's not how Christianity is supposed to work. Well, you know, like, like, like Dr. Falwell used to say when we were in classes uh, at Liberty, he, he, I, I remember having a class with Dr. Falwell about church uh, ecclesiology, and he, he would give this illustration. He gave it many times, and he, he said that, uh, and I think I've told you this, a lady came up to him and says, uh, Dr. Falwell, our church is all messed up. It, it, it's just, I can't believe what the pastor's doing. And, and Dr. Falwell says, why don't you leave? And she goes, oh, Dr. Falwell, I can't do that. My mother's buried in the graveyard cemetery there. And he goes, ma'am, if, I, if your grandma could resurrect right now, she would get up and leave with you. So, <laughs> so the person wouldn't leave because grandma's ba- or her mom's buried in, the, in the, the graveyard there at the church. Hey, man, what are you doing? And you're going to sit through apostasy? What are you thinking, man? You have an undue loyalty. So that's, that's how you really drill down on the counterfeit Messiah. You're only supposed to follow Jesus, no one else not even family members, you follow him alone. Let's move to counterfeit theology. This is pretty simple. I think you understand it. There's true theology and bad theology. Okay, great. But here's the problem. What happens is a syncretism starts happening in people's theology. And this is what becomes deadly. Because it's not like you're, anyone's going to go out and say, okay, I'm going to become a Mormon today, and I'm, I'm jettisoning all of Christian theology and I'm going to Mormon theology, and that's what I believe. You'll never hardly see that. I've seen one case in 20-something years, one case where someone did that, okay? Most of the time, it's a blending of junk where they have one foot in Christianity theology, and then they're borrowing from that theology, that theology, and they have their foot in all these other theologies, and they're taking a piece from all these other ones. That's when it gets dangerous, is syncretism. That's what Paul warned about. That's what the Israelis were doing. They were syncretizing the worship of Yahweh with the worship of Baal. Okay, so give me some examples. Well, some some of it might be theology, okay? Some of it might be theology. Um, I'll just make something random up. Um, someone tells you, you know what? Um, when the bo- It says in the scripture that the body is asleep. And so, therefore, that substantiates soul sleep. That when you die, your soul and body go to sleep, and then you await to be resurrected. Is that correct? No. The Bible doesn't teach soul sleep. When the Bible uses the term sleep for the body, it's a euphemism for death, right? Jesus used the euphemism for Lazarus. Our friend is asleep. He was saying he's dead. He's dead. But So that would be an example. But there's Christians that, that, that will hold to something like that. Or um, there's Christians that can't really, uh, they'll say, uh, uh, when I talk to them, I'll say, define the Trinity for me. And they'll say, well, um, what it's like is it's like there's this one being, and then when God wants to put on the mask of the Father, he puts on that mask, and then when he wants to play the role of the Son, he plays that. And then when he wants to play the role of the Holy Spirit, he puts on that mask. That's how they define the Trinity. Is that correct? What would that be called? Modalism, right? 
and they'll give illustrations. Well, you know, it's 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 kind of like that. They'll say that they'll say you define the Trinity basically. You know, um, like I do. You know, they'll say uh, I'm a father. Um, I'm a I'm a cousin, and I'm a uncle. So there's one person in three different roles. Is that correct? No, that's called what? Modalism. God's not playing different roles. There are three distinct identities in, within the Godhead. One essence, one nature, revealed in three identities. That's how the Trinity is defined. But people will just go along with that. And now since we're talking about demonology, let me explain this one to you. People think it is simply part of spiritual warfare when they're having encounters with demons. Is that a normal part of spiritual warfare? So what, why, why do they think that is? Because someone has taught them that. Especially from probably the hyper-Pentecostal, hyper-charismatic movement where there's a demon under every rock. And because of that, when something real happens, they, they discount it or they minimize it when we should be saying, red flag, you have a problem. You're at the third level of demon activity, which is called oppression, and that really shouldn't be happening to you. Otherwise, you have something else going on in your life. So my, my whole point is, you come from these different backgrounds, and if you don't balance it out with Scripture and you're more loyal to the background, you're more loyal to this is how I was raised, well, you have to submit your, yourself to the authority of Scripture to make sure you don't bring that into Christianity because I've talked to many, many people that think at the third level of demonic activity is normal and is part of the spiritual battle. That's, dude, you're at that level, you're pretty deep. The thing that Paul was warning about is He's talking about the, the armor of God is about influence and maybe suppression. But when you get to the level of oppression, it's a whole nother ball game. That means someone around you or you yourself or you have some type of paraphernalia or, or somebody's involved in it around you and it's bringing heat on you. That's a problem. But people just act like they live with that. So I've talked to people and I, they say, hey, Brandon, let me ask you this question. Um, the other night I was pinned to the ground and, um, and, uh, I called for my husband to come get me. And then he came to get me while I was pinned to the ground. And then he was thrown across the room. And, and then, you know, sometimes I walk through my hallway at night and I see these apparitions where it's like a, a man on the top, but on the bottom, he has dog feet. Is that normal? What? What? What are you talking about? Well, even the dogs see him. Okay, we got a problem. I, you don't think I'm crazy? No, I don't think you're crazy. I think this is real. But I don't think you realize what level you're at. Well, they've been happening to me all my life. I said, really, how long has this been going on? Since I was five. I said, this kind of activity, this paranormal activity has been happening to you since you were five, and you're now 45. You see what's going on? What happens is people get used to living with abnormality and they think it's normal. 
and then they will baptize it spiritually and say, well, I guess all believers have to fight this way. Oh, no, they don't. Oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. That's a problem. You're having a major problem. There's something wrong when you're seeing manifestations of demons, right? I'm, t- I'm telling you, it's, 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 it's a thing where, you know, other Christians will bring in, uh, they, you know, they go to psychics and stuff like that. Well, after a while, that psychic, they don't realize is a necromancer from the Bible. That's a, that's a channeler. And these people are channeling these demons or whatever. And then the demon takes on the persona of one of their loved ones. And it's a counterfeit. See, here, here's the funny thing. A demon's not going to show up in his, what he looks like as a demon. He's going to show up in a counterfeit. And a counterfeit, what, who's he going to counterfeit? A loved one. That's who they're going to counterfeit. And so when these people have these encounters, it's always grandma or it's an uncle or it's their dad or whatever that's passed on. And that becomes um, what we call a familiar spirit. And uh, they can impersonate sounds. They can impersonate voices. They can impersonate smells. And they know all things. So I, I, I have to put that out there since we're studying demonology. We're studying Satanology because I'm finding too many people comfortable with it. That's not something we need to be comfortable about. I'm teaching you about it so you can spot it. But you shouldn't be there living like that. Something's not right. And I'm telling you, we're getting more and more uh, people explaining this. And I even said it on Jan's program today. I'm seeing more and more of this activity happen amongst Christians. So some secret syncretism is happening. So let's say, what, what, what kind of syncretism? Well, let's just take yoga, for example. Yoga is a Hindu practice. It's not about stretching. Do you realize there's many, many Christians practicing Christian yoga at their church, baptizing it in the name of Christian, and it's not? You can't, you can't separate yoga from its Hindu origins of worship. You can't. So guess what happens? They start hearing voices. Not all the time, but some do. And they hear voices. When they go into those trance states and whatever they're doing, and then all of a sudden they hear people talk in their ear. That's what you that's what happens. And then when they start having manifestations, you can attach it to, well, you opened yourself up in the yoga. That's what happened. It doesn't happen all the time, but it can if you participate in those types of things. Those are the occult being brought into Christianity. Prayer circles, prayer labyrinths, centering prayer. You go and blank your mind out and say Jesus a hundred times. You know what's going to happen to you? You're going to get into the spiritual realm. And it's not Jesus who you're going to be talking to. But people will do that. Well, Brandon, I went out in the forest and I chanted Jesus' name like a thousand times. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So did you blank out your mind? Yeah, I blanked out my mind. You were fodder for demons. You're wide open for this stuff. So it happens. And that's where the counterfeit comes in. They will counterfeit them as good angels or good Jesus or whoever, you know, a saint or something like that. Where am I at? Right there. Go ahead. And he's talking about the dog feet. Uh, was that during dreams or was the person awake? Very much awake. Very much awake. And the dogs were even barking at the apparition. So the dogs saw it. But the apparition was a half man, half dog. The legs were dog feet. It's creepy, isn't it? But they say, uh, said, do you think that's normal? Well, we've been living like that since I was five. 
That's normal? Dude, that's like Amityville horror. I'm out of there. So what do we do if we know somebody that says they're seeing these things besides run? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, what do we do careful. if the old person? Uh, for first of all, example, you, my daughter gets all freaked out and says, I need to do that sage thing around the house. That's occultic. And, and she's into rocks and she says she still prays. But I mean, she's like, I'm like, you know, you're you're kind of creeping me out. Yes, that is creepy. But it's sage. OK, you're, you're, what do I, and that's not the only person. What do we do for some? We know that they're just okay, you're, you're way past the deep end. Well, I think the first thing you say is, are they receptive to the truth? Like, like what you just said, hey, man, burning sage is an occultic practice. I think it comes from Mexico, right? Or, or a lot of other, uh, or India or something like that, where they burn sage to get rid of bad spirits or whatever it might be, or cleansing, cleansing the house or whatever. Um, the first thing you have to discern, are they receptive to it? Say, hey, man, that's from the occult. Would you want to know any more about that? Oh, no, Dad, you're crazy. Okay, closed. But to say, what do you mean, Dad? That's from the occult. Well, it's, it's like this and this and this. Wow, I need to stop doing that. Boom, then you're receptive. Your, cho- your, your, your decision has to come based on the receptivity of the person. So when I was talking to this person and seeing dog feet on a, a, a human body, um, they were receptive to me. They're like, what is that then? What is this? What's going on? I said, they're demons. So they were open. And they, they, I did lead them to the Lord. But at the, at the, at the, at the time, that, that if I wouldn't have pushed any further saying, no, these are my, my, my space buddies. These are my, my avatars and these are my spiritual guides. I would have left that alone because I, I, I'm looking for the receptivity of it, basically. I'm not going to cast pearls before swine. Don't give those out uh, unless they're receptive to it. So I would, I would say that. Go back there, Richard. Um, back to your Sodom and Gomorrah. I just have one quick question. Why was Lot's wife, was it salt? Why couldn't it have been the sulfur or I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I don't, I know that's what God said and, and he turned her into salt, but couldn't it have been something else or there was a certain uh, uh, symbolism because of that. Because I mean, for the way we take it is we're the salt of the world. So I, I think, yeah, because salt is used as a preservative and Jesus uses it in a good way. Um, in that case, if you, I think the answer lies in the archaeology of that location. Um, you're in the Dead Sea, right? There's a lot of salt, okay? And one of the things you see with what happens with burning sulfur, when it touches that limestone, it, it you know, it, it just changes the whole, the whole chemistry of that limestone. And, and, I think it, it lies in somewhere in that sense that um, obviously it's a supernatural thing, but basically everything in that area turned to ash and and her salt, I, I guess I would say is that's what her body turned into, um, I think supernaturally, as a warning, a perpetual warning of that whole rift valley. That whole rift valley is all salt. She became the rift valley in essence by being turned into salt 
And um, this is interesting about that. Um, because there's salt all in that area, there's no life there. And God promised that there would never be anyone to occupy those areas, nor would anything grow in those areas. And so if you go there today, there's nothing growing, man, nothing. And so I, I find this curious. And again, it's my theory because it doesn't explain that. My theory is she got turned into salt, which is like the area that's there. And that salt area is to be a perpetual reminder of God's judgment. So she is a reminder of God's judgment like the area is. That's my best theory. Otherwise, I don't know. Otherwise, um, her, you can see her, like just like the walls of Sodom and Gomorrah, they were, they were transformed into another substance. Um, and I think it's like the limestone introduced with the sulfur turned into, I, th I think it's calcium sulfate or something like that. I can't remember the term. It changed the whole molecular structure into a different chemical, a different compound. It's weird. And she, her body was turned into salt, a different chemical compound, similar to how the buildings were at, were, were turned into something different, completely different. So I don't know. It's a theory, but I don't know if we'll ever know be, to be dogmatic about it. But it's interesting, isn't it? If they tell you they found uh, Lot's wife, there's all kinds of videos that say they found Lot's wife. It's not Lot's wife. It's not Lot's wife. And, and, and when you look at it, it's like this, this huge uh, pylon, uh, you know, and it's like bigger than a human. It'd be like 10 feet tall. It's not Lot's wife. Um, I know there's a lot out there about that. Where am I at? Where am I at? Okay, I'm go where am I at first? I'm back there. I got a quick question. If you're getting attacked in your dreams, is yeah. that level three? Could be, but it could be not. It could not be. Um, I mean, um, I've been attacked in dreams, and usually what's happening in those situations is I'm, I'm probably helping somebody. Well, I know I'm helping somebody get out of something. And what I start realizing is there's a, a demonic foothold in the person. And so then what happens is I start getting harassed. And I've had several of them, but it's always in concert with with trying to get someone out of the occult. And you can you, the dreams are very distinct. They are not like a normal dream. It is it is what will happen is they will appear as humans or whatever, and they'll turn into monsters sometimes. But they harass you in the dream. They 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 challenge you. They want to fight you. They want to embarrass you. And even in the dreams, you actually can control yourself in the dream. And so um, I've known the last one I had was a long time ago, but um, I remember actually getting very aggressive uh, towards the, the, the thing in the dream. And I, once I got aggressive and started speaking the truth to it, it stopped. And so, it, so if you're out there doing God's work, it might happen. It's not all the time. But I, can, I can't tell you, Stephen, how many people report to me that they're being harassed in their dreams. You know, so it's, it, uh, to me, it starts, it, it seems like it's becoming more common. Now, like, like I said, I probably had three of those in my whole ministry. Um, but in every one of them was with dealing with someone in the, in the occult. But they tried to harass me. That one, that one time that I, I think I told you guys, 
all the electronics of my house were going off that night in my kids' bedrooms. Uh, after I was trying to help a Satanist get out of Anton LaVey's church, all my electronics went crazy. Everything just, um, I remember, the, you know, toys were turning on for no reason and stuff like that. So what they were doing is harassing me to stop helping her. That's what was happening. So be very careful who you help. You want to help people, right? But you, if you start realizing they're in demonic activity, you better know what you can handle and what you can't. Because the demons... They, they they will play tricks on you, man. Yeah, they'll go after anybody, and they will they will not play fair. Yeah, you're on. <laughs> this <clears throat> this really happened this weekend, up in Fraser Park. 150 men from this area and the coast, and 25 of them gave their heart to Jesus. Great. You already heard that. Oh, I told you. I, I, I texted you. You did? I did. Oh, okay. I didn't see it. I'm but sorry. I, I haven't heard that. Anyway, and that, then lots of men went forward to rededicate. Lots of men uh, went Great. home to uh, restart their marriage. Amen. That's great. Awesome. Pastor Brandon, on the flip side of this evil... Do we have each one of us a guardian angel? Yes, we do. Um, we do. And do they have names? <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, they all do. They all have names. There's no doubt about that. Um, they're all named by God specifically. But um, what we see from Scripture, there's plenty of hints um, that we have angels that guard us all, all of our lives. Uh, the first one is we see with children. Uh, he's, he, Messiah made a comment like, don't you know that there are angels stand in my presence? And it, we don't have any indication when you, if you ever lose that angel. Um, and what you realize when the writer of Hebrews says that the angels are sent there to minister to us. And so you can put all the pieces of the puzzle together through deduction. And what you start, what emerges is it appears that we have guardian angels. Like I said, in Daniel chapter Four, I was using Daniel's using the term watcher angel. Those are the sentinels. They are the guardian angels. Now there are bad guardian angels that fell, uh, sentinels that uh, are watcher angels. But the the term for guardian angel in the Bible is a watcher angel. And what does he do? He watches your life, and basically he responds to what God tells him to do for you in certain situations. Whatever that might be. And then, again, this is deduction. At your death, according to Luke 16, you're escorted by two angels at your death. It's perhaps one of those angels or maybe both were, are the angels that, that were watcher angels over you for your whole life. We know churches have watcher angels, right? Revelation 2 and 3, every church has a watcher angel that's assigned to that church. We have an angel. One day you'll probably meet that angel that he was assigned to Rock Harbor. And what he does what God tells him to do, but he's a watcher angel. He watches over uh, what we do. And he's also a uh, watcher angels also are witnesses to be used at the judgment. They witness against uh, evil. So anyway, good question. Where am I at? Hello. Hey. Laszlo. 
I heard a message from a pastor in the Bahamas and in their culture, they do a lot of witchcraft and yeah. all kinds of things. And he had mentioned that uh, like dream catchers, you want yeah. to get rid of those, of course. Get rid of dream cards. catchers, yes. Um, he also talks about when people travel, um, they bring home souvenirs from trusts. Yes. So we had we had souvenirs that family members brought us over from Africa made from tribes because they thought they were helping the tribes. Yeah. And we got rid of those. Good. <laughs> um, threw it, just threw it out. Yeah. Um, and he talked about crystals. He talked about, because yeah. like, they, they say that they're healing crystals. Right. Um, he talked about the sage. Um, anyways, but. That's good. Yeah. How, how do people, because a lot of his congregation people will dabble in these things. And even though he's told them a hundred times not to dabble in it. Um, but he didn't get to, I didn't hear the rest of his sermon, but how do people get deliverance from that? Yeah. Good question. Okay. So yeah, objects that people bring from foreign countries and, you know, they're not aware of that object. Like I, talking to a lady she someone gave her a white elephant from india well that white elephant is a demon uh, is an idol and behind an idol is a demon right so they had started having demonic activity once they brought the the elephant in the house or whatever um so that's a real deal stuff because if you go to a foreign country or you pick up something you Better make sure, especially in high idolatry areas like Africa and India and third world countries, there are plenty of, of uh, idolatry going on. And uh, it might look like a simple thing, but it ends up you bringing home a demon. Now, how do you get delivered from that? The first thing you do is in Acts 19, you burn that thing. You have a fire and you put that thing in the fire just like the Apostle Paul did in Acts. You burn that sucker. Um, don't throw it away because someone else will get it. Destroy it. Destroy it. And, and so that's the first thing you do. Do exactly what Paul did. You burn it. And that decimates that. And usually, usually, nine times out of ten, that will release it. That, that the, the demon will not stay there anymore as, uh, if the idol's gone and been destroyed. Okay. If it continues then what's you're starting to happen is that person has also opened themselves up to uh, somewhere to that that demon somehow some way by messing around with it or you know i don't know uh doing something uh that would warrant them getting a foothold in that person's life and so now if you get rid of the idol and it's still happening then the person has to renounce where the opening is they have to renounce why they allowed something like that to happen. And that takes a little bit of some kind of uh, detective work sometimes and say, well, what have you been doing that's different, you know? Or um, I don't know, it, it, be, it, it could be anything. You have to question the person. Well, once you figure that out, then you have to have the person denounce that, renounce that publicly, out loud. And they have to keep renouncing it because even if they renounce it one time, it, it's not a guarantee that the demon's going to go away. The demon will keep actually coming back and coming back until, and, and until you resist enough. It's not just simply resisting one time. You have to repeatedly resist, and then the devil will flee. Okay? Because I've had people resist, and the, they keep coming back. They keep coming back. 
because they're, they're, they're realizing that they can get a, a, a foothold in that person where they've opened themselves up to. So what, what they say, what do I do? I said, keep resisting, keep renouncing, pray before you go to sleep, whatever, pray over your house, all that stuff. Read your Bible, everything, all your spiritual disciplines, but you have to publicly renounce it. I know that sounds weird, but in their world, it's a legal world. If, if you've ever heard a demon respond back to you, what they will say is they have permission to be there by the person, by whatever that person did and opening themselves up. Now, a lot of things can open people up. If, you, if that a friend of yours was still having it, first thing I would start, what kind of immorality are you practicing right now then? Are you free from any immorality? And I say, well, no, you know, uh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that on a habitual basis. That might be the foothold, maybe. If it's not immorality, it'll be pride. Or it's something. Or maybe they're doing prayer centering or something like that. Or maybe they're burning uh, that sage stuff. And that's an inv invitation to a demon or whatever. Um, or maybe they have an amulet from their, you know, their, their grandparents or something. Um, m my grandma was like half Cherokee. And, um, you know, they were big into that and stuff. And, and so they had a lot of paraphernalia from the Cherokee Indian. Well, I got to looking at that. Started realizing that's occultic paraphernalia. These were the animistic gods of the Cherokees. And I had to throw all that stuff away and trash it because I knew it could bring those kinds of things. Even though it was my grandma's, I'm no way going to keep that for sentimentality, especially if it could draw demons. So you have to get rid of that junk. Um, like you say, the dream catchers and other Indian paraphernalia, stuff like that, it can draw. They were into that. That's what they were in, spirits and stuff like that. Um, but renouncing, you have to renounce and repent. The person has to stop doing it. But what I find is the person actually likes it. Why? Why do they like it? I know this sounds crazy. I know it sounds crazy to you, right? But why would someone like that? It's power. They're addicted to the power. There is power there. By the way, the demons, if you open themselves up, they will give you information that you could never have dreamed of. This is where like people who are involved in, 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 in the entertainment industry or they're artists or something like that, they will go into that realm to get their ideas. Whether it's an artist, uh, music, entertainment, whatever, the demon will show them what to do. The demon will show them how to solve problems. Believe it or not, they like that. They feel it's a gift that they can do this and that they're getting download, a, a download technology and information from them. That's why it's so hard for them to leave it. And I tell you what, man, even if they do come out of it and they get saved and they become born again, that stuff haunts them the rest of their life. They're really never the same afterwards because their, their spiritual eyes have been open to that realm and they see things even as a believer. They still keep seeing things. It haunts them for the rest of their life when you get that deep into the occult. 
and and it becomes a coping problem, not a curable problem in that sense. And so they have to get used to it. Um, so anyway, where's the question at? Matt, go ahead. Uh, this last Christmas, I went to go see the Nutcracker. Do you know the history behind the Nutcracker? Not really. But, well, I didn't understand. Watch guys in tights, I, man. I, yeah. Well, I, it was. I didn't go. I went because uh, people were. I knew people were in it, and I just wanted to support them. Yeah. But uh, uh, I, I was. I, I never understood it, you know. So I was like praying, and I was like, okay, you know, God, just show me, you know, if there's something to learn here, please show me, because I know it's, you know, and uh, I just did some research on the Nutcracker, and it's actually from Norse mythology and they're actually put in homes to protect homes from demons oh really so i don't know if those are know that considered idols or not but it certainly deserves further uh yeah kind of hits closer to home it does i never knew that right back there i was gonna say pastor when you're talking about the hollywood uh, um do you remember uh beyonce did an interview that one time and she literally said that uh, she had a uh, an, like an alternate uh, identity in her yeah. name, Sasha. Sasha. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that's a demon, dude. Yeah. Dude, Beyonce is 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 uh, she's possessed, man. Totally. When she said that, when, that's that's clearly that that thing takes that Sasha fierce takes over her. That's possession. She's describing possession. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. Where am I at? Back there. Hey, I'm back. All right. God bless everybody. I didn't mean to do that like some kind of announcement or nothing, but since I had the mic, I might as well just say it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Holla back. But uh, so I was drawing demonic tattoo patterns when I was in prison for all the rednecks because they like a lot of that kind of stuff on their bodies. And uh, then I got caught like, I'm like, wait a minute. It kind of, I'm like, I'm, I'm being the advocate for the devil. And then so I stopped drawing tattoo patterns. And then I got rearrested. Off, it was in fire camp, and I got put in a hole with a Bible. And then I started reading the Bible, and I fell in love with God. Because as a Catholic boy, I never read the Bible. <laughs> and when I started reading the Bible, I fell in love with God. And then 10 years later, I fell in love with Jesus. And now I can't shut up about it. But I'm just telling you. So all that stuff about the dark side, and I ate the apple, uh, the apple tree, burned the wood. I mean, you know, like the apple tree thing. And that that makes me an overcomer. That's right. So that's that testimony that we have. That's what we share with other people. And that's the power of God. Yeah. And that's what's going to take to kick this devil's butt and to hell with Satan. I'm just saying that. All right. That's really bless America. Well, yeah, yeah. And so what, what, what we have to leave you with this is, is, is we need to learn it. But you understand that greater is he was in you than he was in the world. Right. You have to always remember that that um, Satan can only go so far. We have to know the wiles of the devil, the strategy of the devil. But at the end, you really have no fear because the Lord will protect you if you do the right thing. If you stay obedient and you keep trusting, you won't have to worry about this. This is for people who get involved in it. That's what I'm talking about. And this is how we have to get them out. We have to explain them. This is the way you get out. Okay, where am I at? I'd go for it. So, going back to the demons being legalists, being in what now? With its demons are legalists, and they have the beachhead. Yeah, they have a whole 
yeah, system of law in their realm. Yeah. So with beachheads, are those specific to a unique sin or can they capitalize on other sins? Not necessarily. It could be any sin that, you know, the person has been in a protracted period of time in this particular sin. And then what will happen is, according to Ephesians 4.27, I believe the text is, that, you know, Paul says, don't let, allow a beachhead to be established in you. And that beachhead is established by a, a demon, obviously, in that area of sin. And that area of sin becomes the operation, their Normandy beach, in which they operate from. And then they start controlling you in that sin. And then that whatever that particular sin is, if you continue to allow them to have that beachhead, not only do they influence you, but then they can suppress you in the sin. So you might have people that come to you and you're trying to help them. They say, man, I just can't break this. I can't get out of this, man. And again, if there's demonic activity going on, they the demons are actually suppressing them in. And that's why it's going to take other believers to help them get out who are not in that. Because once suppression happens, the person has a hard time getting out. Very, They won't be able to get out on their own. They have to have other believers to help them get out. Pray for them, encourage them, teach them, and all that other stuff. They will not be able to do it on their own. So it depends. It depends on what sin that particular person's involved in. Back there. Hey, Brandon. I had a question. Do Catholics, uh, are they saved? Do they go to uh, heaven? Or what's the... If they are saved, it's despite official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, why I say that is, can anybody out there get saved by hearing a gospel message? Of course they can. Um, and I, I mean, I came from a Catholic background. I got saved at 19, but I stayed in the Catholic Church for two years. Didn't know to get out. Why? Because I was afraid to go out of the fire, uh, frying pan into the fire. I didn't know where to go. I didn't want to join a cult. So I actually stayed there knew I eventually needed to get out. The Holy Spirit was convicting me. And then I finally found, you know, what church to go to. I ended up going to Chuck Smith's church at Calvary Chapel. And, uh, but I was saved for two years in the church, didn't even, and, and until the Spirit convicted me enough to get out. So it's very possible that that can happen to somebody. But uh, let's say this, they have a choice. So whether or not they're going to listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit at that point and get out of there, uh, or if they refuse the Holy Spirit, as far as him prompting them, they'll stay there and will never be sanctified. They'll be saved, and that's it. Because the Catholic Church can't help in sanctification because the Catholic Church pushes a works-based salvation and sanctification. So basically they're saved, and they're getting no rewards for that because they refuse the Holy Spirit. I can tell you, he put enough pressure on me. I said, I got to get out of here, man. This is crazy. And you, all of a sudden, your eyes are open. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is idolatry, dude. This is flat out idolatry, bearing, uh, bowing down to Mary and all that junk. So my thing was, yes, it's very possible, but it depends on their reaction of the prompting of whether or not they stay or go. And you, you can say that for any, any other religion, but... Um, that's where they lose it on sanctification, I would say. But if you're asking me this question, can someone be saved through Catholic theology? No. It will send them straight to hell. Because Catholic theology denies the work of Messiah on the cross 
by saying you have to do more works, including the seven sacraments. So it's, they have the person of Christ right, but they have the work of Christ wrong. It's another gospel, basically. So if they, someone gets saved, it's despite official Vatican teachings, if that makes sense. That makes, I, I hope I'm clear. I want to distinguish that out, you, you know. Okay. Uh, internet. Um, internet. If a Christian or non-Christian get tattoos of satanic emblems or pictures or stuff like that, um, what's your take on that? Because, I, I mean, yeah, uh, take it off, cover it up, or, I mean, uh, what what's the outcome of that? Yeah, I, I think... Um, um, in that sense, where you have satanic tattoos, I would get those removed as soon as possible. Because satanic tattoos, I'm making a distinction here, guys. Satanic tattoos have the ability to draw demons. That was the whole point of why he told Israel not to tattoo themselves or pierce themselves, because in the occult, that's how you draw down spirit creatures, okay, or the gods or whatever, but really it was demons and fallen angels, what they were drawing down, cutting themselves, tattooing, or things, uh, marks of loyalty. So in that case, get rid of demonic tattoos. Get those things erased as, as soon as possible. Now, notice what I left out, okay? That's what I, I left out, that it's possible to have good tattoos, you know, John 3.16 or all those other things, that's okay, because in the New Testament area, we don't have that law. But the principle is, if it's demonic, if it's occultic symbols, you know what I mean? That stuff needs to go. I think that's obvious. You wouldn't want that on you anyway if it was demonic. Like, hey, I love the devil. Uh, okay, <laughs> we're, we're going to get that erased pretty soon, okay? You know? But uh, if it's like, I love mom, okay, whatever, man. <laughs> <laughs> what? Or yeah, or he has a you have a Dallas Cowboy on you, <laughs> something like that. That will draw demons. <laughs> Just kidding. My 49ers draw demons because they're so wackadoo. Anyway, <laughs> where do I got hands at? Somewhere right here. Go for it. Um, what about the organization Knights of Columbus? Oh boy. Yeah, wow, okay. Or, I have a friend whose husband is in there, and I keep trying to tell Well, him. the Knights of Columbus, I will say this. They don't make blood oaths or anything like that, so they're not like a Freemason, uh, which that's definitely to be avoided. They're, they're just a bunch of Catholic good boys trying to do good things, okay, trying to earn their salvation and maintain their salvation. So I don't see anything demonic in that, but it's the Freemasons that are the problem. The Shriners, the guys that have the potato bowl uh, at BC, the Shriner uh, game or what, potato bowl, those dudes, when you see those Shriner hats, you ever look at them, what's on that Shriner hat? Dude, it's a big Islamic sword, a felt hat that comes from Morocco. It's in, it, the Freemasons are totally in line with a lot of uh, Islam, by the way. And then those guys with the, that felt hat, that's it. You're looking at a 33-degree Mason. That dude has sold his soul to the devil. By stage 14 and 15, he has already renounced Christ. I've seen the stages. You can read them for yourself. It is demonic. And that's the group you really got to watch out for. Those boys, mm-mm. 
Now, the Blue Lodge, level one, two, and three, they don't have a clue what's going on. It's until you get to the top levels. And that's really, really bad. That's satanic, man. Pastor Brandon, back to Catholics. Um, you came from a Catholic background, and I've noticed that Catholic funerals are big. And long. Yes. <laughs> right. Are they, yeah, I, I know that some of those that passed away are hated by some of the people that are coming in to their funeral. Are they, are they praying to get them out of purgatory? Uh, yeah, yeah. And do they have to light a candle to, to help them get out of purgatory? So this is almost like, I'll do it for you if you'll do this for me. Yeah, in they a lot of ways. It's bargaining yourself. Yeah. And so, yeah, so like the concept of purgatory is Catholic. Um, they made it in retaliation to Luther, who got onto them for praying for the deads and, and things of that nature. Um, and so um, here's the interesting thing about it. It's non-biblical, but the gimmick is this. You never know when the person can get out. Okay? So you have to just keep praying and keep doing masses for them and keep lighting candles and all this other junk. When Martin Luther was dealing with them, they were including money. Okay, and so Tetzel was going around saying, look, man, every coin in the coffer that rings a soul from purgatory springs. Yeah, no joke, man. That was the same during that period of time in Tetzel. And that's what Martin Luther said. Hey, man, that's crazy, dude. What are you doing? Well, anyway, um, they were making money off of it. It was a big money generating thing. And um, you never knew how much money it would take to get your loved one out of there. So he just kept giving and kept giving. Well, now they've t tempered that, and now it's prayers and fasting and all kinds of other rituals. But you never know when the person gets out. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they're free. Sometimes you have to pay a dollar or two dollars or whatever it might be. But um, what that really is is an attack on the sufficiency of the cross. Because if Christ paid it all, what, what are you doing? You think a prayer is going to get you out of hell or purgatory or whatever? There's no such thing as purgatory, but, you know, the whole theory is shot when you understand the sufficiency of the cross. We got one more? Then we got to take hey, a uh, from the internet. I uh, have a question on suppression. If you have a major depression, could that be due to suppression of a demon? Good question. Sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, if you look in the Gospels, uh, one of the um, individuals that the Lord healed of, from, he exercised a demon, he also had mental illness at the same time. And so what we see in the occult, when someone's involved in the occult, the demons can cause mental illness. They will actually try to make the person go crazy. And usually they go so crazy, they commit suicide because they just can't take it anymore. The voices in their head won't stop. Now, Sometimes people will eat that schizophrenia or something else like that. But when it's just a spiritual thing, like you saw in the Gospels, it's very, very possible that the demon possession will cause a mental illness in the person. And um, the interesting thing is once, once the demons leave, then the mental illness stops, actually. So it's, it's related to that. It's not like, you know, this person has been diagnosed with mental illness. They've always had mental illness. The mental illness starts with the demon activity. And that's what they do. They, they actually make the person go crazy. 
I've heard people that have been involved in band, what the, they were just being tormented, tormented mentally in their head. The voices wouldn't, they couldn't shut them off in their head. It's like torture, right? Just keep hearing voices and voices. And they, that, that causes mental illness. Internet. Oh, okay. Let me get back to the internet. Chuck, go for it. Yes, I've got a real good dear friend of mine that's uh, Catholic, and I've been trying to witness to him for a long time, but he tells me that he's saved. So I know that in every religion, people can be saved if they've called upon Jesus Christ. That's true. That's true. So he might be. My problem is, is if you're saved, would you stay in the Catholic Church? That depends. It depends on if they respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting. Like I said, I, I, I was there for two years, and every time I went to that church, the Holy Spirit says something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. Look at that. That's idolatry. Something's wrong. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but where do I go? Where do I go? And eventually I was, the Lord showed me the way. But that's a decision that that believer has to make. If they've been saved, like some of them went to like a Franklin Graham or a Billy Graham crusade, and they got saved legitimately but they go right back to the Catholic Church. They have, you know, Chuck, the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you. He's not going to allow you to stay in something that's wrong. So what happens is when they do stay, my judgment as far as what uh, are assessing that is they have made a decision to quench the Holy Spirit's prompting. And so they're rejecting that prompting and then deciding to stay because whatever family heritage, uh, their mom and dad go there. I mean, with Catholics, I know like, we were German Catholics. That goes all the way to Kansas and, and Germany and stuff like that. Some people are, are, are uh, uh, Latin American Catholics. Uh, when I was in New York, you had the Irish Catholics. You were either, when you were Irish back in New York, you were a fireman and you were Catholic. <laughs> Isn't that weird? They all were like that. But what happens, Chuck, and what I saw with our own family and stuff, it became a national heritage to be Catholic. It's not just a religion. It's a heritage. And that's why it was so hard for them to break away. So I don't doubt that some of them get saved. There's no doubt about it. If they see the gospel, boom. Um, but then the sanctification part is their decision. Do, they, do you really want to grow? Because you're not going to grow there. I can guarantee you that. They, they don't. They don't teach sanctification properly they 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 teach a sanctification by works and so they won't grow so that's where you have to leave it sometimes yeah absolutely if you believe in jesus christ alone for salvation not any works he promises to give you everlasting life that's it Salvation is very simple. Sanctification is a different ballgame. That's what you have to make sure you separate out is salvation versus sanctification. Sanctification is a whole nother ballgame. That's where you get rewards. That's where you have to do good works, but not, you know, not for salvation. So, unfortunately, they will be saved. They'll make it to heaven. But like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, the smell of smoke will be on them. And it's not escaping from hell. It's because their works are burned up completely. The smoke is from the lack of works.
proper works that can be rewarded. Okay. Internet. Internet. Um, I got one. It's a two-part. What happens to the children of non-believers in the rapture, and at what age would they be accountable? Yeah, good, good question. Uh, children and babies will be taken, and that will be determined, obviously, from the age of accountability, whatever God decides for that individual child. Now, God only knows where that age is, where that person is accountable for uh, responsibility of knowing when they sin, knowing the Lord and all that. So it, it, the, the age thing is it's varied. It can, it, it can span many ages, but that's up to the Lord. And he will make that determination, and he will take children from unbelieving families because they haven't reached the point of accountability. So what is that? The point of accountability is when a person knows that they sin and violate and trespass. Whatever, that might be a different age. Now, where, where are we getting the principle? We're getting the principle from even the law of God that he would not hold people accountable who did not, that had mental illness, that were children. Now, think about this. And I'm not saying the age is this, but I want to show you how much grace God gives, okay, about the age of accountability. When they refused to go in the promised land, what was the, the minimum age that, that would not die in the desert and would, would be able 40 years later to go into the promised land? What was the marker? 20 years old. I'm not saying that's the age of accountability. I'm just saying God is very gracious. And even in that generation, he let the age go up to 20 and let that other younger generation go in. Again, that's up to God, and he decides with that. But um, he does not hold people accountable who have mental illness, right? They, they don't know. They don't know. He doesn't hold them accountable for that. And then, like David says, I, you know, I can't, uh, he can't come to me. I, go, I can go to him, talking about his child. And uh, here's an interesting thing. I know this sounds wacko. But this is interesting. So I'm going to do a prophecy update on the demonic deception about the rapture and their story about it. And you know, the funny thing is when one of the quotes that uh, one of these channelers are channeling a demon, you know what the demon says? That there are going to be two phases to what they call the evacuation. Follow this. This is interesting because it's from the enemy's perspective and a counter narrative to the rapture. They say uh, there will be two phases in the great evacuation. They call it the great evacuation. <coughs> and the first one will be um, these deplorables, okay, that didn't learn the lesson that are preventing Mother Earth from going to, uh, to her fifth dimension, okay? So these, they call us dark people, dark, dark ones. Yeah, you're called the dark ones from the other side. So the first phase is to take away the dark ones. Second phase, get this, will be an evacuation of all the children of the world. Why would they say that? Because they're going to have to have an excuse of where all the children went all over the world. Right? Yeah. They talk about the alien. But, but, but here's my point. Scripture, obviously, through deduction, makes the point that children are going to be taken in the rapture of unbelievers. Obviously, babies, children, until they, until they reach that age of accountability. 
But I find it very fascinating that demons who are given a counter narrative to the rapture are saying, don't be freaked out when you see all the children all over the world vanish. They are being taken because they have already fulfilled their mission, they say, and they're going to be taken to a new planet and populate that planet. No joke, that's what the demons are saying. But what is, what is the element of truth in there that they're hiding that's true about the rapture? It's the rapture of children. I thought, oh my goodness, they had a counter narrative to that. What would they say about the dead in Christ rising first? No, that's funny because I'm going to point that out. They didn't talk about that one. Is it invisible? They couldn't be seen. I, I think I have a theory. Or is or, it groundbreaking? Or? Well, yeah, because the graves are going to come up, and these people are coming out of their caskets, and they're going to be glorified bodies. Well, glorified body and be taken in. That's the first phase. Now, here's the interesting thing: the demons noted two phases, which is true of the rapture. There's two phases. Dead in Christ first, and then we who are alive and remain, right? That's two phases. They gave it two phases, but they said the, the deplorables or the, the, the dark ones and then the children. So they, stay, they stayed with that, two phases. But I thought, I go, isn't it interesting? They didn't talk about the dead. Do you know why? Do you know why they didn't talk about the dead? Because believe it or not, the narrative about this this great evacuation is to save Mother Earth. Now, follow me on this. The demons say, according to the necromancers, that there was another Earth before, or another planet before, sorry, and this planet was called Lucifer. And it was destroyed. And they're not going to allow this planet to be destroyed like the Lucifer and Luciferian one was destroyed. And so they have to evacuate these people. Now, it's part of the green, the green agenda. It marries to the green agenda. So follow me on this. This whole green agenda is from the green dragon. And the, the idea is we're destroying the planet according to the demons which they're not calling themselves demons, and something has to be done to reduce the human population and that's preventing Mother Earth from going to her next phase. Mother Earth is a living creature, they say, and she's in uh, stage four. She needs to move to stage five. So, Stuart, back to this question of why they didn't mention the dead, because it doesn't fit the narrative. What do the dead matter to Mother Earth? All Mother Earth is concerned about is the living. And so they intentionally keep that truth out because it doesn't fit the narrative. Because what are they going to say? They're going to say, well, you're returning back to the ground. You're nothing but you know dirt anyway at that point. So what's the big deal if someone resurrected? They would have to explain that. And you know what? They just shoved it under the carpet. They just kept it away. And so I think my theory is it didn't fit their narrative, it, they, and they didn't have an excuse for it. And so, uh, to them, the only thing you need to save Mother Earth from is living beings. And so they kept that narrative going. In that, I'm telling you, man, it's the weirdest thing I have ever seen. But let me tell you this, and we got to get out of here, man. We went too long. 
this green agenda, the more that I look at what demons are saying through their necromancers, this green agenda is going to be used to explain the rapture. Dead serious, man. They have all the talking points that are being used right now for saving the planet. No joke. And so when I saw, when I now I take a step back and I look at this and I'm thinking, this is more than a political agenda about this green deal. Way more. It is a religious, satanic attack on explaining the whole tribulation period. That the whole tribulation period is going to be explained that Mother Earth is doing this because we've treated her so bad. And, and this is why the water's turning to blood. And this is why we're having all these cataclysmic events with Mother Earth because she's a living creature and she's trying to get rid of all the humans on her. I'm serious. I know that sounds crazy. But when you read it, they say it. It is the narrative, the counter narrative from the demons. I'm blown away by it. I'm totally blown away by it. But that's where we're at. That's where we're at. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Anchor Bible Study Podcast. We hope that this lesson is a blessing to you and helps grow you towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has another podcast called Anchor Sunday Sermons. And it's filled with past and present messages in Revelation, Genesis, and Exodus. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear it, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services for the Anchor Sunday Sermons. Support for both of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up, for our redemption draws nearer.